0: Anybody have any big decisions going on in life? feel like life is continually moving from big decision to big decision. Maybe if you happen to not be in that moment, you can easily go back to a space where you had to make a big decision, and, and we all would love God just to give us an easy answer, just I just want to know what to do. Like, God, I'm trying to be faithful. Just tell me exactly what to do. I'm tired of having to make up my own mind. I'm trying tired of making up my own decision. And so we'd all much rather have a very easy, simplistic, straightforward, just give me the right path to go on. So in a way, we all kind of would rather God be a little different. Got to eight ball, now this is actually not a magic one, uh, but it really makes no difference because the magic eight ball doesn't give you anything helpful either. But we would like to kind of shake God and say, God, give me the answer. All signs point to yes, maybe, ask again later. We, we are longing for, what do I do? How do I know if I'm gonna make the right decision? And we want an easy way out, but there's not usually an easy way out. And so, we're going to read about uh, Paul's journey back towards Jerusalem. And I'm going to kind of summarize a, a movement that happens for over a chapter of this story. Um, but Paul is on his way back. He wants to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to keep getting a lot of advice that this is not the right way to go. And I think that this will take us to a place where we can identify with well, how do I make a decision? How do I know whether I'm going to hold firm to this or should I change my mind? God, where are you leading me today? And so, when our story begins, Paul is, is he has been on a bunch of missionary journeys. He goes out, he talks to new people about who God is, and then he goes back towards Damascus. And Acts 20 tells us that Paul thinks that he is supposed to go back to Jerusalem, and he wants to go for a specific occasion. He wants to go back for Pentecost. It's a big festival. Uh, it's kind of like, I need to go home for Christmas. You know, it's like, there's this big moment, people are gathering together, I wanna be back for that occasion, or I wanna go back for Easter, that kind of thing. And so he thinks, I'm gonna go back to Jerusalem, and that's a time where you got travelers from all over coming to Jerusalem. And you know, Paul loves to talk about who Jesus is, so he's thinking, I, I need to get back to Jerusalem, there's gonna be a lot of people there, I've gotta get back. And so he he starts to make his journey back, and it's not that easy. You can't just run over to Delta or American Airlines and just hop on a flight. Uh, it's a long journey. you got to get on ships. you got to take roads. You, it's a long ways. And so he decides he's making his way back, and he realizes that he needs to reach out to some people because he's he started churches. He's, he's met people along the way, and so maybe you've had a road trip and you thought, I'm going to need to stop in this city because I want to see this dear friend that I haven't seen in a while. But you don't want to take too long. Does anyone know how that feels of... If I stay with them, I'm going to really be stuck there. I'm going to have to spend a lot of time. So he actually writes a letter to the leaders in Ephesus, the church leaders there. And he says, hey, I I don't have time to stay, but if you would just meet me in another city on the way, I really want to see you. And so these leaders hear this letter, and they think, oh, we love Paul, let's go meet him. And Paul has quite the speech to him, When they gather there in Miletus, he says, "'You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time "'from the first day that I set foot in Asia, "'serving the Lord with humility and with tears, "'enduring the trials that came to me "'through the the plot of these Jewish leaders. "'I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, "'proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly "'and from house to house, "'as I testified to both Jew and Greek "'about repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus.'" And then the story changes a little bit. He goes on to say, And now as a captive of the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I don't count my life of any value if only I might finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And now... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming this kingdom will ever see my face again. That's a serious conversation. He he talks about being captive to the Spirit. It's like I, you know, I can't help it. The Spirit is taking me towards Jerusalem. I, I can't do anything else. I know I've got to go there. And he says this weird dual statement. I don't know what awaits me there except that the Holy Spirit keeps testifying to me in every single city that I visit that only imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. He's saying, I don't, I don't know what awaits me. You know, the Spirit keeps telling me what awaits me is persecution and imprisonment. And maybe you've had those kinds of moments where it's like, you know, there's all these red flags that are sitting out there. There's Things are not going to go well. And you're like, well, I, I don't really know how it's going to go. But you know it's not going to be going well. And so Paul's still living in this place. He's like, you know, who knows what waits for me? But, you know, the Spirit keeps telling me it's not going to look very good. But I can't help it. I'm a captive to the Spirit. I, I, I'm, I can't do anything else. I've got to go that way. But I'm afraid I'm never going to see you again. And that's tough. And I'm sure that would have been tough for those Ephesian leaders to hear. When Paul finishes talking, he kneels down and they all pray together. And it says in the text that there was much weeping among them all. And they embraced Paul, they gave him a kiss, and they sent him off on his way. They brought him to the ship. And so you you must imagine that these dear friends were saddened by this news. They're crying together, but they're saying, there's nothing else we can do. We'll take you to your boat you can keep going on your way, but know that we love you. And so Paul continues on his journey. He stops in another city in Tyre, he meets some disciples that don't get named, and he meets them for the first time, and within a week, he's telling them, hey, I've got to go to Jerusalem. This is what's ahead for me. And the people there, it says in Acts 21.4, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But in the end, them, their their families, their children, They all take him to the shore, pray together, and say farewell. You know, I don't know what's waiting for me, except the Spirit keeps telling me imprisonment, punishment. You have people saying, through the Spirit, don't go. And yet they'll pray together, say farewell, and move on. And so Paul goes further. He arrives in Caesarea, he meets Philip the evangelist. Now we've met Philip before. Uh, Philip is described as one of the seven. If you remember, the, the people came to the disciples and the apostles and they said, hey, we have a lot of people who are being neglected. We have widows, we have orphans, we, we need help. And the apostles said, well, we can't wait on tables. Let's appoint some people. So they appoint seven people. One of them is Philip, who we now call Philip the evangelist by the time we get to this story, one of the seven. And he's the same person that went to the Ethiopian eunuch and shared about good news, baptized him. And so Philip's been up to a lot of things, not just table care. And it says in the text he has four daughters who are all prophets. And he stays there with Philip and his family, and they're waiting around, and then Agabus shows up. It's a fun name. Agabus shows up. This has got to be a weird scene. You know, I always like to say, if you were to make a movie out of any of these stories, like to actually visualize what's going on, this is a story you want to visualize. Agabus shows up, he's from Jerusalem, he's a prophet. He goes over and he takes Paul's belt off. Well, that's kind of awkward. You might feel a little confused if someone walks up to you and starts just taking your belt off. Like, what is going on? So he takes the belt off and Agabus stands there and he ties his hands and his feet together with, the, with this belt. He ties himself up with his belt, and then he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is the way that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. This is not the kind of news you wanna hear. Firstly, I want my belt back. <laughs> Second, what sad news. <laughs> Can you give me some good news, please? Anybody? And by the time we get to this moment, something changes in our story. See, the the author of Acts, who we we know as Luke, uh, has been a part of the second half of Acts. There's a lot of stories where it talks about we went to this place, we went to that place. And earlier in the story, it talks about the the people in those cities weeping, the people in those cities saying, please don't go to Jerusalem. But finally, when we get to this point, the author says, We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. We've gotten to the point where the author himself is saying, Please don't go. We've endured enough red flags. Please, like, just don't go. And Paul turns to the author, turns towards Philip, and says, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. You feel the emotion in Paul. It's like all of your urging, your crying, you're you're breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, I like that note in the text. Since he wouldn't be persuaded, we remain silent except to say the Lord's will be done. Paul's saying, hey, your greatest fear's for me. Listen, I'm not even worried about your greatest fear. They might imprison me. That's not my, like, even if I die, that's what I'm going for. I don't care if I die. I've got to follow God's will here. And so you're worried that I might be imprisoned. I'm saying it could be worse than that. I'm still going. And the people in the rooms realize there's no talking to Paul on this. Maybe you've had that moment. It's like, all right, this this isn't getting anywhere. And instead of continually just making this harder and harder on Paul, who feels resolved on this, they say, the Lord's will be done. Now, there might be some different tones about how you might say that. You might be annoyed, the Lord's will be done. You might be sad, the Lord's will be done. You might be confused. There's a lot of ways in which we get to that prayer where we say, Lord, your will. But Paul is so resolute that people have resigned themselves to silence other than, the Lord's will be done. So I want to mention a few things that this text might share with us about what is it to make decisions, what is it to follow God. And I want to give you some, some things to avoid. I think there's a lot of avoidance in this text. We should avoid mistaking our callings for everybody else's. There's an easy temptation when we feel like, here's how God moves in my life, here's what I should do, that we want to project that on the next person and say, well, of course God's will for you is. And so maybe the Spirit is telling you this thing isn't for you, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit's telling them that. So we should be aware of the fact, God might have different callings for different people, and secondly, we should avoid forcing our desires on somebody else. If they had gotten their way and they're like, okay, you know what? We've already got his belt. Let's go ahead and tie him up. We don't wanna let him to go to Jerusalem. We're gonna force him to stay. We can't make other people's decisions for them. Sometimes we try. And we should probably stop trying. We can invite them into wisdom, we can invite them into how God invites them into life and a good life, but we can't control other people. And so there has to be a moment where we say, okay, I've made my case, I've pled my case of here's how I see God at work, here's my recommendation, but it's up to you. And at some point I have to be silent and say the Lord's will be done here and not feel like you failed Because if they do end up in pain, if they do end up in regrets, you might be like, ah, I I gave up. I should have kept pushing. I should have kept forcing the matter. But it's not your decision. We all have our own responsibilities, our own callings. Another thing to avoid, please don't make your decisions based simply on what people want you to do. It's pretty obvious in this text for Paul. People don't want you to go. He could have pleased a lot of people by just finally saying, okay, fine. All right, I I see that you really care about me. I see you really care about this. So I'm just going to stop. You know, this is a good spot. Maybe I'll go on another missionary trip and and I'll go the other direction. And it's really easy. We as as humans are very social. It's very easy to want to conform to what the group, the tribe, the tribe, the community wants. And there are certain times where you run into the fact that what they want for you is not what God wants for you. It's okay to say no. Another thing to avoid, don't make your decisions because you think you deserve punishment. I think some people read this kind of story and they think, God wants me to be harmed. God wants me to be like to have to survive some awful things. That is not the point of the story. But there are plenty of people who think, you know what, my story is about suffering, my suffer- story is about endurance, and so if I've got options in front of me, let me take the suffering route, because surely that means it's the good route. We don't have to just take suffering routes. I know it's, we follow a, a, a gospel story that involves a crucifixion, but that doesn't mean every single day is about choosing suffering. It's about choosing to follow what God wills, what God wants in this life, which sometimes does result in pain. But doesn't mean we're supposed to just choose pain as if that's the easy answer. But a lot of people want to see their lives as, as being persecuted, want to see the world as always persecuting them, but we don't have to make decisions based on what persecution will result in my decision. I'm going to always choose harm. There's a flip side to this. That doesn't also mean that we make every decision based on what's the easy route. We shouldn't avoid obstacles. Because sometimes God does move us in ways that does require some some frustrating obstacles. The Bible is filled with stories of people being called to follow God's will and it doesn't seem like it makes any sense. If you're the prophet Isaiah and you're like, okay, who should I send? And you're like, hey, I wanna go, I'll go, great. Go preach the gospel, and guess what? No one's going to listen to you. Like, wait, uh, what what did I sign up for? Yeah, yeah, don't worry about the results. Go preach what I tell you to, and no one will listen. And that's your calling. I wish I could have had a little different calling, God. Maybe you're David, and you've got a giant in front of you, and you're like, wait, I've got a slingshot. Maybe you're uh, Moses. And you're thinking, I can't talk to Pharaoh. What kind of speech do I have? The Bible is filled with stories of people who who have to take the weird way through the story because we have to rely on God. And so if you're Paul and you need to imagine yourself on that journey, sometimes the roadblocks are not actually telling you to change course. They're just preparing your spirit so you're going to be able to endure what's coming up next. And Paul's saying, okay, I've got, I've got to come to terms with that the gospel has taken me to some place that might bring me harm. And every single city, he keeps getting this warning and he's like, I got it, God. It's going to be rough. I get it. And each person that keeps telling him, therefore, stop, don't go this route, keeps hurting his spirit because he's like, I'm trying to be resolved to this. I know God's calling me to this. Please don't, don't make me avoid this. I, I got to keep going. And so this text reminds us that we are all belonging to our creator. Some of us are are more open about that. Some of us have run away from that. But the God who created us all calls us all into life. Some of us try to avoid it with all cost, and we run the other way. Some of us try to run the right way and wander astray. But we are called to follow God's calling for our life. And so we are supposed to look at whatever decisions we're making, say, where is God inviting me to bring life, to bring love, to bring hope? And I need to lean into that thing. It might be comfortable, it might not be comfortable. It might be what other people want me to do, it might not be what people want me to do. But God, give me a sense of where you are sending me. And Paul knows his story, his gifts, his calling. He knows, okay, I've been trained up in my faith. Uh, I can speak about my faith. I've got this backstory where I have been persecuting people, but now I'm the one being persecuted. And I'm going to share my story. I'm going to live my life out so people know who Jesus is. But see, each of us has our own gifts. We have our own skills. We have our own stories. And so God invites you to a path of wisdom where you have to figure out where is God inviting me and in my story, my gifts, my skills to move in this next day. That doesn't mean we all have exactly one point as if God only has one tiny little line that's hard to follow. That's our calling. And if you miss it, you, oh, you've, you've ruined it all. But God has a path for each of us with some latitude, with some stretchiness. And so may we be people who spend time in prayer, reflecting, listening for what God is calling each of us to do. And may we be people who spend our time in prayer about how we reflect and relate to each other. Say, God, help me not get in the way of of my, my brother or my sister today. Help me to support them on what you're inviting them to. But don't let me be in the way of it. And so, if you are in the part of your journey that feels like it's filled with weeping, with tears, I pray that you have uh, the sense that Paul did, of that people care for you, that you are loved, not just by God, but by your family, your friends, the people in your life. That there are people who who will take you to that shore, who will cry and, and weep for you, but hopefully who will also say the Lord's will be for your life, as opposed to their own will for your life. And so may we all take that journey. I don't know what, you know, what Jerusalem journey looks like for you right now. There's no magic eight ball up here. But I invite you to just be a person who prays and who asks God, Lord, where are you inviting me today? And may we have the the resilience and the strength to say yes. May we have the resilience and strength to say yes even when the obstacles come up. Uh, Because there's life on the other side, there's resurrection on the other side of Good Friday, there's victory on the other side of seeming defeat. God invites you into it. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are able to talk to each of us in ways that our brains can't quite understand. You know what's going on in each person who's worshiping with us a story. You know what struggles they're facing. You know what joys they're celebrating. Lord, we ask that you might give us a sense of your wisdom, a sense of your spirit, of where it draws us, where it brings us better into your life. Lord, for everyone who feels like they've wandered too far and and that how do they get back to you, we ask that your your loving embrace might be felt, that you might uh, just make your love felt today. Lord, for those who are burdened by uh, despair of of whatever obstacle is in the way, Lord, we ask that they might feel your embrace as well as the community around them. They might feel your, your spirit go with them. That we might have a calmness and a peace about our decisions. And Lord, for those who have sat by and who have, who have seen people make decisions that have brought harm in their life, that have been destructive or toxic, Lord, we ask for some renewed peace uh, for people who feel like maybe they failed when someone else missteps. Lord, help us to be able to see ourselves the way you do. Help us to not live with regrets, but to live faithfully into you. Lord, let this moment be a moment where we feel your presence and your wisdom today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.